0: Good morning. Welcome to Sunday morning with Love and Action. I am Ken Tuck. Thank you for joining me today. I pray everybody is doing well on this Christmas Eve. Christmas. It's a beautiful time of year, isn't it? Make sure that your focus is on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And we need to celebrate Jesus every single day of the year. And let's not get caught up in anything else. Let's get caught up in Jesus. Let's focus on him and let's worship him. Not just today, but every single day of the year. He is worthy of all of our praise, all of our honor. He's worthy of all glory. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he has done everything for us. He has died for us. He has risen again. And he offers eternal life to all who will believe. So why wouldn't we worship him every single day of our lives? Praise be to God. Hallelujah. He is good. He is awesome. He is mighty. We are in a series about seeing Jesus, seeing the Messiah throughout Scripture, and we have gone through the Old Testament. Again, we're hitting highlights, and we're not taking a real deep dive, but we're, we're hitting highlights so you can see that the Messiah is prophesied about throughout the Old Testament and how he fulfills those prophecies in the New Testament. And the Messiah is such the key figure of the Bible. Jesus is the apex of the Bible because without Jesus, we have no hope. And the Bible is, again, it's the story of his plan of redemption for mankind. And you have to have the Messiah to have a Redeemer to redeem us and to cleanse us, to atone for our sins and bring us back into fellowship with the Father Today we are going to look at, before we get into the New Testament, look a little bit at the intertestamental period, that time between the Old and New Testament. Many people call it the silent years, but it really wasn't all that silent. Now, God wasn't speaking people through prophets at that time. But there was a lot going on at that time. So we're going to talk a little bit about that just because it's important to get the historical background and the historical context anytime we're reading the Bible. And as we move into the New Testament, we can better understand the context of how it was written, when it was written, what was going on at that time. So that's where we're going to get into today. But before we do, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father God, we just want to give you praise, give you honor, give you glory. You deserve it all. Nobody deserves any glory, any praise, any honor but you. So, Father, we want to just stop and just say thank you. Thank you for loving us. And we just want to exalt you this morning. Father, you have done everything. You are the great creator. You've created this earth that we get to enjoy. You created the stars that we get to enjoy at night. And the Son, during the day, Lord, you, you created all. You created us in your own image. And you sent the Redeemer, your Son, to save us, to bring us back into the right relationship with you. And Father, as we open your word this morning, just pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us, lead us and guide us in all your truths. And may we be doers of your word and not hearers only. And Father, I pray for each and every person listening today. Father, I pray for encouragement. I pray for uplifting Father, I pray for a stronger relationship with you. For those who don't have that relationship, I pray for that relationship to begin today. So Father, we just thank you, pray you'll be glorified. And we love you, and it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's important to briefly state some important events that took place in the intertestamental period. Again, we want to see what was going on, what's the context that the scripture in the New Testament's being written, what has taken place. And we know that the Israelites, they've been looking for a Messiah, but somehow they missed it. And things that happened in the intertestamental period shed some light on that. And we can see what they were thinking and what they were looking for, who they were looking for. And again, it's about 400 years that there were no prophets raised up. Uh, God didn't reveal anything new to the Jewish people. Uh, It lasted from the time of the prophet Malachi around 400 BC. We know Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament up to the preaching of John the Baptist around A.D. 25. It's important to point out that there were significant changes in the religious, political, and social atmosphere of Israel. Alexander the Great, he swept through Asia Minor. He conquered the Persians and therefore he ushered in the Greek rule. Therefore, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, what we now know as the Septuagint. Following the death of Alexander the Great, Judea was ruled by a number of successors culminating with Antiochus Epiphanes from about 186 to 187 B.C., and he was an evil man. He desecrated the temple by erecting an idol devoted to Zeus in the temple, and shortly afterwards sacrifices which... Many scholars think that was likely swine. They were offered up on the altar in the most holy place, and that's totally desecrating the temple. Because if you know the law, you know Jews' customs, swine, pork is very unclean to them. And that was desecrating the temple of God in a very offensive way. Uh, Any way would have been offensive. That was definitely very offensive. And all these events were predicted actually by Daniel. When you read Daniel chapter 11, verses 28, Daniel 11, 31 through 32, and Daniel 12, verse 1, all these events were predicted by Daniel. So God was already letting people know this was going to happen, and it did. But then there came a man named Judas Maccabees, and you may be familiar with the Maccabean revolt. If not, I encourage you to read about it. Maccabees led a result that restored the rightful priests, and the temple was purified. And it's an event that is still remembered by the Jews with Hanukkah. So when you hear about Hanukkah, it's also something that would be interesting for you to to study and see why Hanukkah is celebrated. Well, here you have it, Judas Maccabees, the Maccabees' revolt that's remembered through Hanukkah. And Maccabees showed great zeal for the law of God and showed that there were still some Jews who wanted to obey the law of God. There was still zeal for the Lord, even during the 400 silent years. It was silent as far as God sending his word to the people. But there were still people who had great zeal for the Lord, still wanted to obey him, and they had had enough at that point. We read in the book of Maccabees, Then Matthias answered and spake with a loud voice, Though all the nations that are under the king's dominion obey him and fell away every one from the religion of their fathers and give consent to his commandments, yet will I say, and my sons and my brethren, walk in the covenant of our fathers. Again, there was zeal for the word of the Lord, and that revolt took place, and the priests were restored. The temple was purified. And then the Romans come into, into the picture. The Romans conquered Palestine around 63 B.C. and came under control of the Caesars. And in 40 B.C., the Roman Senate declares Herod king of the Jews. And that was not a very popular thing among the Jews for sure. Uh, on the religious side of things, Uh, There was a division that grew within Judaism as the major religious leaders. Uh, They were no longer only the priest, but also the teacher, the rabbi. Adjustments took place, and additional laws were added, and the Torah expanded. Now, many people regarded these rabbinic traditions as having a divine origin, even though they did not. But many looked at them as equal to the laws written in the Old Testament scriptures, written in the Torah, and divisions grew. Obviously, you would expect that to happen, and especially with the rise of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Zealots and the Essenes. And according to Josephus from the Jewish antiquities, uh, the Pharisees were the most influential on the general public, and the Sadducees came from the aristocratic priestly family. So you see this division taking place, and you see the Pharisees really rise into power. And with all these changes and the smothering rule of the Romans, Jews were looking for a Messiah who would deliver them from the Romans. They were looking for a military ruler. They wanted to get out from underneath the rule of the Romans. And so they were looking for for a Messiah who was going to come in a militant fashion and take out the Romans and deliver them from that rule, which was was a very cruel rule of the Romans, but they weren't looking for the true Messiah as they were looking for him that way, because the Messiah, he wasn't coming to set up an earthly kingdom, not yet. He was coming to save people from their sins and from the wrath of God, and as we have read in the Old Testament and see in the New Testament that Jesus is the Messiah, he fulfills over 300 messianic Old Testament prophecies. And as we read in the Gospels, as we start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus is a new and better Moses. He offers a new and better sacrifice because he is the new and better priest mediating a new and better covenant as we progress toward the new and better land. See, Jesus brings everything new and better, and he's leading us to a new and better land. We haven't made it there yet, but it's coming. (laughs) Praise God. You know, I look at it this way. He fulfilled over 300 messianic prophecies, and statistically, that's impossible. But with God, he's all about doing the impossible. And Jesus clearly and factually fulfilled over 300 prophecies. So the prophecy of his next return, him coming back, the second coming, and him setting up his kingdom and the eternal kingdom, that new land, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens that's going to happen. There's no doubt about it. He fulfilled over 300. He's going to fulfill those as well. And I'm awaiting his second coming with great excitement, with great joy, looking forward to that day when Jesus does return and we get to see our Savior face-to-face or when he calls me home first. Whichever one's going to happen first, I am excited about either one of them because that means I'm going to see Jesus face-to-face. Praise be to God. So we've looked through the Old Testament and we see in the Old Testament covenants and the prophets and the writings, the promise that God will forgive our sins and he will restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned towards him. In the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the mediator of the new covenant. His death on the cross is the basis of the promise. And that's Luke chapter 22, verse 20. The new covenant was predicted while the Old Testament was still in effect, and we've read about that over the past few weeks. The prophets Moses and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all allude to the new covenant. And as we read last week, Jeremiah prophesies about the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34. If you haven't read it Go there and read it, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. In Hebrews 8, the author there quotes this very scripture out of Jeremiah while writing about Jesus as our high priest of a better covenant. So see, in Jesus, everything gets better and better and better. Life gets better. Life here is hard. And even as a believer, you go through tough times. I sure have. I go through tough times ever since I've been saved Back in nineteen eighty nine, from then to now, you better believe I've been through some tough times. But you know what? With Jesus, He makes it better. And He gets me through each and every one, and He will get you through each and every tough time too. Just trust in Him and believe Him. So let's go into the New Testament now. And let's look at Jesus the Messiah in the Gospels. And of course, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is everywhere. (laughs) That those gospels are about Jesus they're about the messiah and they proclaim and prove in their writings that that messiah is Jesus and the synoptic gospels which is Matthew Mark and Luke they detail the life of Jesus they're showing his teachings his miracles and most of their writings focuses on his last week in Jerusalem and then his death burial and his resurrection and we read prophecies being fulfilled of the virgin birth in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, and that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Jesus, his identity as the Son of Man. We read that last week in Psalms chapter 2 verse 7, and we see that fulfilled in John chapter 1. I think it's so fascinating too, and I believe I mentioned this when we were talking about the Messiah in Genesis, seeing him in Genesis, how Genesis, first book of the Bible, starts out with in the beginning. And then the Gospel of John starts out with, in the beginning. And Jesus gives us a new beginning. Because where Adam and Eve, they fell to the temptation of Satan, and sin came into the world and separated us from the Father. Well, Jesus comes in to take our sins to the cross and give us a new beginning, a new life that we can live life like God created us to live to begin with. And that's a holy life, consecrated, set apart for him, dedicated to him. And live with our God forever and ever. So there is a new beginning in Jesus. We become a new creation, Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. We become a new creation in Jesus. So everything's new with Jesus, new and better. We read about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus in John chapter 1 verse 32, and that fulfills Isaiah 42 verse 1. And all three Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, confirm the identity of Messiah Jesus. And through the miracles, signs, and wonders Jesus performs in the Gospel accounts, he proves that he is the Messiah. And Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God had arrived, and it wasn't to take over the Romans like the Jews thought. Remember, we talked about that just a few minutes ago. He wasn't coming to do that. He was coming to save us from our sins, something much greater than the Romans. Sin separates us from God, but Jesus was coming to provide salvation, restoration of man's relationship with the Father, which will culminate in the physical kingdom that Jesus refers to in Matthew chapter 26, and also in Matthew chapter 24, Mark 14, and let's look at Matthew twenty-six sixty-four. Jesus says, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. And coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus is telling right there that he is the Messiah. He is going to be seated at the right hand of God. And he's going to be coming on the clouds. He's coming back to set up his eternal kingdom. And we also read in one of Paul's letters, uh, we go to Titus chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes, Waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came to redeem us, and he's coming back again to set up his eternal kingdom, as we've read about throughout Scripture, and especially within the Davidic covenant, as you might remember as we were reading the covenant that God made with David and all the prophecies that came from that covenant. We see Jesus now. He's fulfilling all those prophecies and when we look at John's gospel, we see that it's, it's a different gospel than the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John, he focuses more on the lordship of Jesus. In the first three gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they provide something like a photograph, a photograph of Jesus, while John provides what would be more like an artist's portrait. He really dives into the lordship of Jesus. He shows Jesus is the light of who Christians knew him to be after his resurrection, I often tell people when they first come to the Lord to read the Gospel of John first. So I really want them to see that Jesus is Lord. The other Gospels do a phenomenal job as well. It's not that they're not worth reading first, but I just always lead people to John and then tell them to go to Luke after that. And then read through Acts and then the rest of the New Testament, then come back to Matthew and Mark. But just read the Bible. If you want to start in Matthew, start in Matthew Uh, you're going to see Jesus and you're going to see the miracle signs and wonders that he did to prove that he's the Messiah. And when you get into John, you see this this beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and see how he truly is the light of the world sent from God to redeem us, to save us, to bring us back to the Father. And all four Gospels, they show Jesus as the suffering servant, which Isaiah 53 prophesied. And all four Gospels show that. And so Isaiah 53 is fulfilled in all four Gospels. And this theme of the Messiah as the suffering servant is also written about in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. And let's go to that. And, of course, this is another eyewitness account because Peter, being one of Jesus' disciples and ends up being the leader of the disciples, this is a first-hand account that if anybody writing about Jesus knew about Jesus, we know that Peter definitely did. And so let's go there. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to read verses 21 through 25. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. just so want to point out there, by his wounds you are healed, he's talking about we were saved from our sins. He has saved us from our sins. He took those wounds on the cross. He took those that beating. He took those nails in his hands and in his feet to bear our sins, to suffer the penalty that we deserved. And so Peter writes that. And then we can also look at the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And let's read that. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. Amen. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of all. He not only suffered according to scriptures, but he also rises victoriously. Praise God. And, of course, we read that in the Gospels, and it was prophesied in Psalms chapter 16. And let's look at that. Psalm 16, it's only 11 verses, but I'm just going to read verses 10 and 11. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. The Holy One. The Messiah, Jesus, his body did not see corruption. He rose from the grave victoriously to give everyone who believes eternal life, victory over death, victory over Satan, victory over sin, and eternal life with him. And we see that fulfilled, obviously, in the New Testaments and the Gospels. And let's read one account of that. Let's go to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. Luke chapter 24, verses 6 and 7. And this is when Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's been in the tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. And the angels are speaking here. And they say, he is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified. And on the third day rise. Praise God. He is not dead. He is not in a tomb. He is alive and he lives and he reigns forevermore. And he was seen by many, by hundreds after he rose from the grave. And then he ascended to heaven and then he's going to be coming back. So the gospels, they are filled with the Messiah, with Jesus showing that he is the Messiah. And they proved that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John proves that he is the Messiah and he has fulfilled all the prophecies. He's fulfilled the law, and he died and he rose again. And Then we go into the book of Acts, which is, again, another one of my favorite books. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he also writes Acts. So I like to encourage people, when you read Luke, go right into Acts. As I mentioned earlier, I encourage people who are new to the faith to read John, And then read Luke and then go into Acts because Luke is the author of the gospel of Luke and of Acts. And he continues his writing in the book of Acts, which gives us a clear picture of the early church and how Messiah Jesus is center of everything. Jesus is center of everything that goes on in the early church. And Luke writes that Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit will come upon them. We read that in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And he says that they will receive power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that is for each believer, not just them at that time, but for every believer afterwards, that we will receive receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and we will be his witnesses. And that word witness meaning that we will be his witnesses even unto death. That's the type of power that the Holy Spirit gives us, even if we have to become a martyr. He gives us the power to stand firm, to stand strong in our faith, to die for Jesus, and many do. There's Christians there's believers around this world who are persecuted unto death, and we need to keep the persecuted church lifted up in our prayers because they are out there where there's no Christians around them, and everyone around them hates them and wants to, persecute them wants to punish them and even kill them for their faith. And especially when there's a a convert from another religion such as Muslim, then when that happens, horrible persecution can take place, including death. And so we need to remember our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. But he tells us that we will receive power to be his witnesses. And this echoes God's covenant that he made with his people in the Old Testament, because we see blessings for being obedient. Remember, we talked about covenants. Covenants, when we're obedient, there's blessings. Disobedience, there's curses. And so we see this, that we receive the the Holy Spirit, and so we have the power. Now, when we go out to do the Lord's work, to tell people about him, to make disciples, There's blessings involved with that. We don't do it just for blessings. We do it because we love Jesus, but he's going to bless us. And we see that they obeyed him, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 because they obeyed him. They waited. So the blessing of the Holy Spirit came, and they were filled, again, because they were obedient. And we see them filled with the Holy Spirit, and that fulfills a prophecy from the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 where Joel writes and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. So another Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled right there in Acts chapter 2 and the understanding of the Messiah in Acts links his earthly life with what happens afterward in the lives of the apostles. They preached and teach how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets using Old Testament scriptures to prove their point, such as when Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch and he's the Ethiopian is reading from scripture, but he doesn't understand. So Philip explains to him, the Ethiopian is reading and Isaiah is Jesus, the Messiah and how that prophecy was fulfilled. So time and time again, you see the early church, They're using Old Testament scripture to prove Jesus is the Messiah. And we are out of time. We're going to end right there. And I hope this encourages you to pick up your Bible and start studying and start reading it. You know, we're coming up on a new year. And what a great time to intentional, to be intentional about reading and studying the word of God and just get into it. Read about the Messiah through the scriptures. Read about how much God loves you. That's what the word is about. He loves you so much. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son. Is he your Savior and Lord today? If not, call out on the name of Jesus. Call on the name of Jesus and you shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul writes, confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So I just pray that you will call out on Jesus today. Let him into your heart. Let him save you. Let him be your savior. He's already Lord, whether you want him to be or not. He's Lord of all anyway, but confess him as Lord. He loves you so much, and what an awesome year it will be. What a a way to end this year by giving your life to Jesus. If you have any questions, feel free to call us at Love & Action, 334-494-4995. Best way to get up with me, though, is email ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. God bless you. Hope everybody has a wonderful Christmas, wonderful new year coming up. And just know that as you go through this time and we enter into a new year, that Jesus loves you so very much. And I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.